Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to another edition of the Sampasel Podcast on the Ambiguous Network. And right now, I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone had a wonderful Thursday and is having a wonderful Friday. We're at the end of the week, into the weekend. It's Oscar weekend, a huge week for the big night for the world of Hollywood, for the world of entertainment. The biggest night in movies is finally upon us this weekend. I cannot wait to get into it. I'm going to have my interview with Jason Abda as we give our final Oscar predictions of what we think will win this weekend. Will it be 1917? Will it be Parasite? What is going to win? There's been so many ups and downs of this award season, and we lock it in today. I'm also going to be talking about preview night for Birds of Prey with its box office. Is it what we thought it was going to be? Is it going to predict what could be a good or bad weekend for Birds of Prey? I'm going to be talking about that, along with the passing of Kirk Douglas at the age of 103, and a whole lot more. But the first thing that I do want to talk about is big news that is brewing within the MCU. And on January of this year, we got news and wind that Scott Derrickson, who directed the first Doctor Strange and was signed on and announced at last year's Comic-Con by Kevin Feige to be at the helm once again for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, pulled away due to creative differences, wasn't seen eye-to-eye with what Kevin Feige in the studio wanted, and decided to leave, depart Doctor Strange 2. And so over the last few weeks, there, Kevin Feige said that they're in the search of somebody in particular for to take over the mantle. And Kevin Feige always said, and, and so did Scott Derrickson, that Doctor Strange 2 was going to continue the elements of horror that were introduced in Doctor Strange and go even more into the, the realm of horror and thriller that we haven't really seen in Doctor Strange before and in the MCU before. And Derrickson at Comic-Con, I think... Or really, a fan said, "Is it going to be rated R?" And Kevin Feige kind of said, "Well, hold your horses. You're gonna—it's going to be PG-13, and you're going to like it." And I thought that was a funny quote, and maybe that's something that Derrickson and Feige—Derrickson maybe wanted to push the envelope a little bit more than Feige and MCU wanted for the PG-13 taste, because that is really where their audience is right now, and why they've made so much money throughout the years in the MCU. And so they decided that it wasn't working out. They decided to depart. And over the last few weeks, everyone has been speculating who's going to take over for Doctor Strange 2, who's going to take on this really this big movie in Phase 4 of the MCU with one of the key characters going forward. I think with Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, Doctor Strange really became an integral part of the cinematic universe. And I think a, a character that people want to see going forward of in those Avengers movies, he became more advanced in in the in the ideals of sorcery and really became the 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 mythic the master of mythic arts that we know him to be the sorcerer supreme that we know in the comics. So I think going forward in sequels, I think it's gonna be interesting to see the dynamic that he has going forward. And people, I think, were wondering who's gonna take that mantle. And it seems like now, according to a report from Variety, that Sam Raimi is in talks right now, not confirmed, but right now is in talks to direct Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And I think for a lot of people, including myself, nobody saw the name Sam Raimi come to focus. I think really Marvel has set the standard and formula that they don't really go for the big, heavy-hitting directors. When we think about Sam Raimi, we do think about Spider-Man. We think about the Spider-Man trilogy that really kicked off the, the... the age of the superhero genre that we know today or started spearheading that movement along with the X-Men franchise, making a trilogy that included Tobey Maguire, Kristen Dunst, James Franco. And even though people might not like Spider-Man 3, what he did with the first Spider-Man and the second Spider-Man, which people, many people regard as one of the greatest comic book movies 
ever with Spider-Man 2, Sam Raimi was a part of that, and he did that, and he created, started a comic book revolution that to this day is now fortified the MCU and I think really helped progress and, and have the, the superhero genre become the dominant genre in Hollywood right now. And for Sam Raimi, he's kind of taken a step back in directing duty and, and has gone on to do a lot more producing and take on a lot more producing roles in the past and so it's it would it's a very interesting toy choice that for marvel to set a standard that really over the over the time you include the likes of people like the russo brothers who before captain america the winter soldier in 2014 they were only known as really as directors from television with community being their really their claim to fame at that point you go to somebody like James Gunn, who before Guardians was really just doing indie films like Super and films that we wouldn't suspect. You go to somebody like Taika Waititi, who is now a huge name in the industry before, was doing indie films. So Marvel has created a formula that they go for a lot of the first-time directors that they think can make a name for themselves with these movies and can put their imprint on these movies, but at the same time make something that fits what Marvel is trying to do within their films as well. So really when you think of somebody like a, like a Sam Raimi, it fits more along the lines of, I would say somebody like a Josh Whedon, who a lot of people knew beforehand, and even though he wasn't a major film director, he had a huge name in television. And coming over, he had a lot of baggage, at least within the comic book genre, within the, the nerd sphere, that people knew who he was and that he could handle something like this from his days of Firefly and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So Josh Whedon knows his thing. And so I think getting somebody like a Sam Raimi is on that level of a Whedon or a, a Joe Johnson or a Kenneth Branagh who did the first Thor movie. It's on that kind of level where you get somebody of a big name to take over this film and work alongside Marvel once again. And this isn't the Marvel Studios as we know it today. When Raimi worked with Marvel, it was it Kevin Feige was a part of that realm where Marvel worked with with Fox and they worked with Sony on the X Men and and Spider Man franchises. So he has a rapport not with the Marvel Studios that is known today, but with some of the people that work there. He has an idea of how to work within the superhero genre or work within the world of Marvel that people know. So I think for Raimi, he also doesn't just come from Spider-Man lore. He also comes from a horror background and from a mystical standpoint of making a film that was entertaining, I would say, with Oz Great and Powerful and has done films such as Drag Me to Hell in 09. He's done a lot of movies that involve the supernatural horror element, which is, I think, where Doctor they want to take Doctor Strange to, which is more along the horror elements, but keep it PG-13 and make it accessible to a lot of people. But make it scarier and make it something I think people would see with Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness and the character itself. Also, it's very interesting in the report is, as they talk about Raimi, they also talk about some of the cast that will and won't be returning. And we know Benedict Cumberbatch will be back, but we also got the confirmation that Benedict Wan, who is in Infinity War and Endgame, will be reprising his role, along with Chewie Till Edgy 4, who hasn't been seen since the first Doctor Strange film as Baron Mordo. He will be back for this film. But surprisingly, one actress or who won't be in this film is Rachel McAdams won't be coming back for Doctor Strange 2. They didn't elaborate as to why she won't be coming back or whether it's contractual obligations or she just didn't want to be a part of it. Maybe she was only in it for one movie. Apparently, she will not be coming back for this film. And 
So I think that's just really interesting. But the fact that you get three of the main core characters, well, two along with Benedict, coming back for this film, I think you get that in there. That's great. You have Elizabeth Olsen coming in, reprising a role as Scarlet Witch, Wanda Maximoff in the in Doctor Strange 2, which will have ties to the WandaVision show that will be premiering in December, along with reports saying that the Loki television show that will be premiering in 2021 will have ties to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and will be the first film and the first TV shows to weave in and out of the film and TV sphere that Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios are looking to create starting this year with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and with WandaVision going forward that Disney Plus and the big screen are going to be weaving in and out of this line that people will want to follow, that can follow, that they want to keep up with everything that's going on within the MCU. So I'm excited about this, and I'm really excited that Marvel is, is keeping track. They're going to production in May. Sam Raimi, again, hasn't been confirmed for this role, taking over directing Mantle, but he is right now the front runner and in talks to take the mantle as directing Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. What do you guys think of this potential hire as for Sam, Sam Raimi taking in the MCU. Are you excited about it? Do you want somebody else to take it over? Let me know down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Now moving on to some sadder news that happened on Wednesday as well. And that was the unfortunate, untimely demise of one of the great actors of all time in Kirk Douglas the father of Michael Douglas, who is on his own merit, one of the best actors we have seen, passed away at the age of 103 years old. He was, again, one of the great actors who starred in an age of cinema that has never been duplicated ever again and is still looked at as one of the great eras of Hollywood of all time. He starred in films such as Champion, The Bad and the Beautiful, Lust for Life, Gunfighter at the OK Corral, which is an incredible movie. And of course, I think his biggest role of all time that he will be remembered for in everything that he's done is the film that was directed by Stanley Kubrick and changed Hollywood, I think, forever in terms of where it was at the time, is Spartacus. Playing the role of Spartacus and how that film between being something that Kirk Dulles, having been passed over for the film Ben-Hur, and wanting to create an epic, which at the time, those films were so incredibly in demand, from her to the Ten Commandments to what he did with Spartacus. Those films were in such high demand that no films are, are made in that epic standpoint like that again, or, or, as an, or aren't as well-received as they were back in, in those time periods. And so for Kirk Douglas, it was... Watching those movies and seeing that era of Hollywood was just absolutely incredible to watch that and and see that and what it must have been like. And the fact that also with Spartacus, he became Kirk Douglas became a hero in his own right when he wanted to make this movie and and Trumbo, Donald Donald Trumbo was blacklisted because of the Communist Party and the Red Scare that was occurring during the fifties and how in Hollywood there was a blacklist of writers that were looked at as being being a part of the Communist Party that were convicted by McCarthy and McCarthyism. And a lot of writers who were blacklisted in Hollywood had to take up different names, and Donald Trumbo was one of those people that decided to do to continue screenwriting but did it under a different name. And Kirk Douglas said that he wanted Trumbo's name on there, on the poster and on the, on the letterhead of being a part of this movie. And that gave Kirk Douglas ammunition, that gave – a lot of people within Hollywood ammunition of fighting back against against the Senate, against McCarthy, 
and against the Red Scare of vindicating these people and clearing, clearing their names so they can go back to being who they are and, and, and continuing in Hollywood. So Kirk Douglas was became more than just an actor. He became not really an activist, but he, he became somebody that was integral in, 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 in helping people. And he started up his own production company in 1955. He also was awarded the Medal of Freedom in 1981, the highest honor that can be bestowed upon an, an, an American civilian. And... He just did so many incredible things by helping the world. He was approached by different presidents between Lyndon B. Johnson, JFK knew him. So many different presidents knew him, and he was so well-known throughout the world that he was a larger-than-life figure. But he always wasn't—he never perceived it that way. He wanted just to help people, and he he wrote books, and even, even at a later age— to be who he was and, and to, to be in, in a helicopter accident in in 96 and then suffer a stroke a few years later, but still be around and and to fight. And the fact that he lived to 103 years old, even though it, it is sad, it's not really a tragedy because you look at all the accomplishments he had. He lived a full life. He... he he was a three-time Oscar nominee for Champion, The Bad and Beautiful, Lust for Life in the 40s and 50s. But And even though he didn't win, he was awarded an honorary Oscar in 96. He retired as an actor in 2004. He lived a full life. And I remember when I really started getting into loving this industry and loving to talk about this industry, especially when I started to be a huge advocate for award season and my love for the Oscars and, and the Oscar race. And I'm watching one of my first Oscar telecasts. I remember seeing Kirk Douglas walk on stage with his cane and and people giving him a huge applause. And I didn't really know him at the time, but then hearing about him and then reading about him and all, all of his accomplishments and the sons that he raised. And again, when we talk about Kirk Douglas, we talk about Michael Douglas and the great actor he's become as well. It's just, it's an incredible accomplishment of life that Kirk Douglas lived. And the fact that he lived until triple digits, it's tough. It's. It, I mean, everybody wishes they could live till that age. And the fact that he had so many of these things happen—stroke, crashes—and but still persevered and, and and still really did things in his life after retiring is incredible. And he was still honored, and he lived. He lived an entire life. And I think it's it's more about honoring who he was and remembering the great life and inspiring and be somebody like that. Then I think even it is sad, it's still a life that was fulfilled in a great way. And and why this is different from when you hear something like Kobe Bryant happen and, and Gigi Bryant and and the, the nine people who lost their lives. That's something that was a, a freak, terrible tragedy with people that had so much to live for. It wasn't like they were in their 90s or in their hundreds, which would still be a, a great tragedy. It wasn't like they died of old age or some criminally on unneeded cancer or, or disease or anything like that. It was, it was a freak tragedy. Whereas Kirk Douglas, even though they haven't given the, the announcement of why he died, I'm sure it was for old age and it, and, and it's just when people's time like that comes, it comes and, and it's a life that was fulfilled. It was, it, it was something where every single year that he tacked on from here on out was another great year that just to have him on this earth, was a blessing and I'm sure for the Douglas family as well that that's what it felt like and then when it's when it, when you come to this age you just you honor somebody you remember the incredible life they lived
and Kirk Douglas lived one hell of a life that people aspired to live and you remember the films that he was a part of the actions that he helped inspire other people to do the people that he saved that weren't in, that weren't in film that was in reality like a Donald Trumbone helped clear people's names during McCarthyism and the Red Scare it's just incredible and when you see all of his accomplishments it's unbelievable and, and he was still kicking around and doing incredible things and he was still going to red carpets and even though he was in a wheelchair he was still doing all of these things and it's just incredible it, it's a full life fulfilled and my heart goes out to the Douglas family to Kirk Douglas's wife to Michael Douglas and his family and we just honor the life that Kirk Douglas had passing away at the age of 103 years old. Now moving on to some lighter news subjects after getting get, getting through the heavy stuff first. Moving on to some box office news that's happening. First thing I want to talk about is Little Women passing officially passing $100 million domestically. The movie that was produced by Amy Pascal with Sony, directed and written by Greta Gerwig, starring Saoirse Ronan, Florence Pugh, Emma Watson, Laura Dern, Meryl Streep, Timothy Chalamet. The list goes on and on. The budget was for around $40 million at the box office. It made around $655 million worldwide and even though Oscar voting is over, this is just still incredible news for Little Women going forward. The fact that this movie, which was only made for $40 million, and people wondering, is this film going to make the money? Are people going to respond to it? And people around the holiday times definitely responded to the movie as you see the box office numbers. People within the Academy responded to it, giving it six Oscar nominations. It was one of my favorite movies of the year. So I'm really happy for Little Women going forward. Then also the fact that it, def it might win an, an award or two going in into the Oscars on Sunday night that maybe it helps push the box office going forward for the next few weeks for this movie after the hype after the Oscars. If it makes if it does win a few Oscars, that definitely helps it going forward in the next few weeks for a movie that's been out for well over a month now. To do what it's been doing is absolutely incredible. And congratulations to everyone that worked on that movie from Amy Pascal to Greta Gerwig to the cast and the rest of the crew that worked on the actual shoot. Uh, I'm so incredibly happy for everyone that was able to work on that shoot and incredible achievement for Little Women. Then going on to some box office news regarding Birds of Prey. Now, last night was the preview night for Birds of Prey in which Thursday previews, instead of doing midnight releases now, they start times around the evening, around 5, 6 o'clock, around the nighttime on Thursdays, and that gives the preview night going forward and, and a little bit of an indication of where the box office could lead and today is the first full day for birds of prey and according to outlets the thursday box office for birds of prey right now is 40 excuse me not, not 40 is four million dollars and that is not a good box office estimation for the preview nights while it's better than some this is a movie that was directed by kathy ann starring margot robbie as harley quinn has that name attached to it a dc film Right now, the expected budget for, or the expected box office projection for Birds of Prey at one point was around $50 million, and right now, it's expected to make 40 to $50 million, so it could either hit the projected mark, or the, the, the worst outcome that could happen is coming in $10 million less than that outcome, and right, even though that it, it would hit around those two numbers right now, potentially, the budget was around 80 to $90 million, 97 after you count the marketing attempts for this movie, and 
again, this is a film that got it, it was one that people might have been a little reserved about, but over the last week or two has gotten a lot of great buzz, has around an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. And so there's a lot of positive buzz around this film. And when you look at the Thursday box office, it's it's an indication of what could happen over the weekend. However, it is an indication of what could maybe happen in the next few days. I think Friday and Saturday are always telling. Friday gives a better, clear project and, and picture of what could happen, while Saturday gives people the big indication of what could most likely happen on Sunday going into Monday for the final tallies of the box office. So I think for Birds of Prey, it's not a great preview start, but I think if Surgeons happens on Friday and Saturday, I definitely think that it could see better results going forward, and it, it's going to have to perform a, around $50 million so, because even though Shazam performed at that same level, it's going it, it needs around that percentage because Warner Brothers, even though It Chapter 2 and Joker performed incredibly well, especially Joker, outperformed everyone's expectations. Warner Brothers did not have a great 2019, and I think they want to start out on the right foot with this year, and it starts with Birds of Prey, leading into some of the other movies that have, they have coming out, such as Tenet, Wonder Woman 84, you have In, in the Heights coming in the summertime, so this is a big push for them right now that they need a big momentum boost going forward to start 2020 and the new decade off on the right foot and with a DC movie I think they're hoping for that and again the next few days could be a big indication going forward and if it's if it performs around 50 million dollars it still could have big legs in the next few weeks because there's not a lot a whole lot coming out big like on the same level as Birds of Prey, there's not a whole lot coming out that can really withstand it. So Birds of Prey can have a nice box office run until March comes around when we get the likes of Onward and Mulan going forward. So I think February could be a nice is a nice launching pad for Birds of Prey and I think could have a big box office run. And if it hits $50, $60, 70000000 million, especially if it hits the, the initial projection, $50 million, it can have those legs going forward and really maybe not pull out a billion dollars, but can have a nice box office run that warrants DC and Warner Brothers going forward of saying, we're gonna, it, it's a good start to 2020, it's a good start to the DC slate, and it, and it keeps the momentum going forward for DC in terms of, they have this movie, and then they have their big film that they're hoping it breaks. Probably they're expecting a billion dollar, potentially a billion dollar hit with Wonder Woman 84 in June when it comes out. So Wonder Brothers, I think, is, is holding on right now. But to, th- today and tomorrow are big indicators of what the box office, the opening weekend box office is going to be for Birds of Prey. What do you guys think of Birds of Prey's box office. Do you think four million dollars and expecting to come in at forty, fifty million dollars is on the weaker side? Does it need to perform better? What do you guys think? Let me know down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Now moving on to a trending trailer that came out yesterday, and that is for the new film Jesus, the Jesus Rolls, and it's a film that's written directed by John Turturro, also stars him as well. It is a spinoff from the cult classic directed by the Coen brothers, The Big Lebowski. It also stars Bobby Cannavale, Audrey Tateau, Christopher Walken, John Hamm, Pete Davidson, and Susan Sarandon. A big cast for this movie, and to me, I, I it looked okay for the trailer. I mean, I loved John Turturro and the supporting character that he played as Jesus in The Big Lebowski, but I think to me, 
this could be a movie that's too late. That the movie that came out in the late '90s, a cult, a cult classic character. I don't know if it warrants a, a spinoff, even though he is a huge popular character. I don't know if he can do a whole movie regarding him as a leading man. It just to me, it I, I don't know. But I am a fan of John Turturro. I am a big fan of his. I love, even though to me, I always say that the 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 Shia LaBeouf Transformers trilogy to me is a is a is a guilty pleasure. At least the second and third films are. And to me, one of the guilty pleasures that makes a guilty pleasure is the great comedic sense of John Turturro. I loved his character, especially in two and three. Even though he played more of a of an of an a hole and, and a bad guy in the first film, he came around in the second and third film, and I loved him in those movies. And so to me, he's a great comedian. I love him. And you got the likes of Bobby Cannavale, Christopher Walken. I mean, it's a great cast. So to me, it, it intrigues me. But at the same time, I don't know if we need this movie right now. But if Turtle, who is that character and decides to write it and direct it and he knows this character, then I'm all in for it. And he has a better sense of the character than anyone else does. So maybe he turns something to gold. We'll see. But to me, the trailer was eh. It was eh. Nothing really exciting about it. What did you guys think of the of the trailer for the Jesus Rolls? It comes out February 28th of 2020, so it comes out this year, this month. So not a lot of time to get ready for the Jesus Rolls. What did you think of it? Let me know down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Now moving on to the final topic before I get to my interview with my great friend Jason Abdow. The last thing I want to talk about is the official green light from Lionsgate for a Knives Out sequel. Now, it'll probably be a completely different movie, completely different title, but right now we're getting a brand new film from Ryan Johnson. It's going to be written and directed by him, according to reports that came out a while ago, in which it would also feature Daniel Craig the turning as the Detective Blanc, and we will see it, according to Ryan Johnson, it'll be a new setting, new mystery, new characters besides Daniel Craig's character, and I am head over heels about this. I cannot wait to see another sequel to this character, to this this film that Ryan Johnson made. And again, if it wasn't Ryan Johnson coming back, I would not be as excited. But the fact that he's coming back to not just direct but to write, I think he has found his franchise. I hope people come out to see the to see another one of these movies. And whatever the title is, I'm sure it'll be something that maybe will be the Knives Out saga and, and, and a thing to keep people interested in it, knowing that it is a sequel to Knives Out or a spinoff. But I think... This leaves Ryan Johnson in doubt for Star Wars right now. But again, like I said, I, I'm not caring for Star Wars and Ryan Johnson right now. Even though I am a fan of The Last Jedi, I want to see him do this. I'm He did something so original within such a, 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 a genre that has been done so many times, but had a great new take on it, a new twist. And he had twists and turns going along within that murder mystery that I want to see what he does with the Knives Out sequel. I want to see the cast that he brings along after the incredible one that he had with Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Collette, Michael Shannon, Chris Evans, Ana de Armas. He turned into a star as well. Daniel Craig, but he'll be coming back. The list goes on and on and on for how great of a cast that he had. And I want to see who he brings along for the ride this time. I'm excited about it. This will definitely be on my most anticipated list for whenever we get a release date. This is probably, I think this is Ryan Johnson's next film. He's an Oscar-nominated screenwriter for Knives Out. I'm excited and I cannot wait to see more from Knives Out and Daniel Craig's character. It seems like those two have a rapport with each other right now and they'll even develop more of that with the next film. Daniel Craig is excited about this. And when you get Daniel Craig excited for a role like this, I think coming out of James Bond, this is the perfect thing for him. Not a whole lot of action, uh, a more of a clever type of detective who isn't into the whole 
butt kicking kind of thing. He uses his brains and his and his his wit and his humor as his as his mechanisms to solve crimes. And I think coming out of a young man's game for James Bond, he transitions into something that's perfect for him with Detective Blanc in this Knives Out franchise or whatever or Detective Blanc franchises. I'm sure we're going to be calling it down the line if they make more movies which i hope they do if the sequel is a, is a hit as i'm sure with johnson coming back i'm hoping it is like that for not the knives out sequel whatever it's going to be called the detective blanc sequel as i'm going to be calling it in the future what do you guys think of this news for knives out let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts now to get to the big thing now the the, the rest of the show is going to be dedicated towards award season now i'm going to have my great friend Jason Abdelon, we're going to do an interview. We're going to give our final thoughts, our final lock-in predictions for this year's 92nd Annual Academy Awards. It's finally here after the Golden Globes, Critics' Choice, the, the Screen Actors Guild, the DGA, PGA, all the Guild Awards, all the precursors, the ups and downs of the, the, the festivals and, and what could potentially be nominated, the nominations coming out. We're finally at the end of the road. We have the 92nd Annual Best Picture, Best picture, director, all the predictions that we're going to finally scribble in. And then, of course, I'll have Jason back on to talk about the Oscars on Monday and give our full thoughts and our recap of what went down the night before. But right now, it's a preview of the weekend ahead with our final predictions for the Academy Awards. And I'll be right back, guys. I'm going to get Jason, and we're going to get this thing started. So wait one second. Welcome back, everyone, inside the Sam Bissell Podcast. And with me once again, joining me after last weekend, is my good friend Jason Abdow. We're finally here. It's Oscar weekend, Friday, ready to go. Jason, how are you feeling? Are you excited? We're finally here. We're here. All these final votes have been cast. You know, they're just doing the math as we're speaking, making sure that there's a, you know, the yeah. preference ballots all set. It's all good. It, it's ready. It's there's nothing else to really. Well, we have our predictions, but we don't have anything else to base everything off of. It's kind of we have winners. We just don't know them yet. Exactly. We don't know what it is yet. So before we get into our actual overall predictions, we have them all ready to go. The first thing that I want to talk about is what film do you think will have the best night overall? When we talk about the films that have the most nominations this year, Joker surprised everyone on Oscar nomination morning with 11. Then we had 1917, Irishman, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with 10. What do you think will go home with the most wins on Sunday night that we'll be talking the most about? I think, well, the past few years, the Oscars have become very democratic with their uh, with their awards. It seems like last year, for example... Um, Every single movie that was nominated for Best Picture went home with at least one award. Um, I don't think that's going to be exactly the case this year, but um, it's very rare that one movie really like sweeps. Um, the past few years, the most awarded movie has only gotten like four Oscars. Yeah, and I think this year we might kind of buck the trend a little with that. Um, Seeing it was, it was a weird year where multiple movies got a lot of nominations. Um, I think 1917 being a the bigger spectacle that it is, there's a lot more below-the-line awards it can get. And those are pretty much what help add up to, uh, you know, like Bohemian Rhapsody, I think, was the most awarded film last time, or tied, and I mean, it won four, but it did it by, you know, getting the sounds and the editing, and on top of a, a, a or above-the-line award with Best Actor. Um, 
So that's really when you're looking at what's going to win biggest, you look at what's going to win those below the line awards. And I think 1917 is kind of perfectly primed to do just that. What do you think has the best shot of if, if it is 1917? Because I do agree with you where I think what, however the outcome is on the on the above the line, when we talk about picture, director, below the line, I, I do agree with you on that point. What do you think has the best shot of undermining that chance? Do you think it's something like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I think I the Academy say, likes that stuff? I'd say Once Upon a Time has the best chance. Um, what about Parasite? Do you think Parasite has a shot at that? I mean, there is a world. <laughs> I mean, I, there is a world where it. I think it's at least second place in all six categories that it's nominated in. Okay. Um, I think it'll have an, a, a decent night, but um, for it to pick up steam and, and win in uh, all those categories, it'll be it'll be an uphill battle for it. Um, Hollywood probably has a slightly easier time just by having a lot more below-the-line nominations. It's just, you know, 10 nominations versus 6 nominations. Statistically speaking, it's easier for the 10-nomination movie to get more wins. Um, but also, it's probably not, you know, it's probably not a front-runner in things like sound or cinematography like 1917. And so it's, it's hard to say. And it's crazy to think that Irishman could go home, even though it has 10 nominations, it could go home with none. It could go home with a big fat zero on its letterhead. It's, at the it's only happened a couple times in Oscar history, but that is the the record. I believe the last one was American Hustle, which went 0-10. Um, but it, it happens here and there. And um, Yeah, thank God it didn't get one more nomination. That De Niro nomination came in, and it went 0 for 11. It yeah. would be setting a record it for the be. most losses on an Oscar night. Um, but it is, I would say... A strong contender in several categories. I wouldn't count it out as a winner in a, in a few places. All right. So speaking of those winners, we're going to get into it right now, into our predictions. Are you ready, Jason? It's I'm time. Ready. It's time. All right. So we're going to gloss over the, the live action stuff. We, 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 we haven't seen them yet. We don't know a lot about them, so we don't want to give strong predictions on those for best live action short, best documentary. Yeah. So, but I do think the one that I do have the strongest confidence in is Best Animated Short with Hair Love. I've been hearing a lot of buzz about that film. I do think that's the favorite to win that category, but that's really all I can say on that on those categories themselves. So we're just going to go right into international feature, unless you want to add something onto that, Jason. Kipple's on Disney Plus. I could be wrong. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're going to head over now to Best International Film, and the nominees are. Parasite, Pain and, Glo- Pain and Glory, Les Miserables, Honeyland, and Corpus Christi. And how we're going to do this is we're going to give our the ones that we think are going to win, what we think might win, or what should win. That could be a runner-up, and what could be a dark horse. So, Jason, with international film, I think we're both, I think a lot of people are on the same wavelength for this. What do you think is winning this one? Okay, so Parasite is obviously, it's winning. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I agree. It's pretty, it's pretty set in stone. Yeah. Um, and I think I've only seen that in Pain and Glory, um, which is probably the number two, just because it's the only, because it's got a, it's got a best actor nomination for Antonio. nomination. So I think people will be watching it, which is half the battle. Right. Yeah, that is true, especially in a, on a short award season like this. Exactly, but Parasite, you know, it's the only one nominated for 
best picture, best director, best screenplay, yada yada. Yeah. Um, they, there's no, there's no way that it doesn't yeah. win, the, the, and the, it will be South Korea's first win. I think it's their first nomination. Yeah, it's the first nomination general, across the so. board. So it, yeah, if there if if there is a dark horse, um, and that's a big if, yeah, I guess it would yeah. be Pain and Glory. The person that would be the money maker if they were to bet on Pain and Glory and it actually won. Because Parasite, again, I, Parasite is the runaway favorite for this one. So it, it would be the shock of the night if it did not win. Which is a question of, I think last year with Roma is, if it doesn't win international feature, does it give it the shot at best picture that people are saying because it's the front runner for best international, it, could not, it, it, it hinges its chances on getting a best picture win? It could happen. Um... But it, you know, it's a big it, it depends on the level of passion. Yeah. Because if people if people like a movie, they're gonna vote for it in both spots just to see it win something. And you know, we'll we'll see. We'll I, see. I, it's a conversation when we get later on in the in the you know, it's a, it's a conversation for exactly. later on when we get to picture. But for now, Parasite. Uh, yeah, it's definitely getting us. Parasite all the way for Best International Film. Now moving on to Best Documentary Feature. The nominees are American Factory, Honeyland, Fursama, The Cave, and The Edge of Democracy. Jason, what do you have winning Best Documentary? Um, so I've only seen two of these, um, and they're both the ones on Netflix, American Factory and Edge of Democracy, and they're both great. Um, and even though The Edge of Democracy is, is kind of more in line with the kind of thing I like, I think American Factory is very accessible, it's timely, has the Obama's name behind it, and I think Hollywood likes that. Um, the number two, I would say, is for Sama. It just won BAFTA in this category. Right, okay. And, I mean, Honeyland has a little bit of an advantage of being in two places, but I think Parasite's just such an overwhelming presence in international. Okay. Um, so yeah, my my pick would be American Factory. Um, for Sama, is the dark horse, and what should win just out of what I've seen, I would say Edge of Democracy is my personal pick. Okay. But that's uh, that's having not seen the other three. I I agree with you with being the the front runner being American Factory. I think having the Obama's name on there, I think really without Apollo Eleven here as well, I think it's the most the buzziest documentary that's on here and i think for honeyland i think because it is in two categories i think there's a little bit of buzz behind it but i love the american factory so i think it, it should win and will win and i think that the dark horse is honeyland for best documentary feature moving on to best animated feature now the nominees are toy story 4 klaus i lost my body missing link and how to train your dragon the hidden world now, Jason, this is a category that has a lot more competition than we've seen in recent years with Klaus winning the BAFTA, winning seven Annie Awards, eight Annie Awards if you include Best Animated Feature. Toy Story 4 has won the PGA. Missing Link went on to win the Golden Globe. So it's not like there's been one dominant film throughout. And so with all this in mind, to you, what do you think takes this trophy on Sunday night? I feel like I'm going to kick myself if it does, if I go against Toy Story 4 and it wins. But I, I moved Klaus to number one. And it, it is, wow. ironically, it's the only one I haven't seen. Really? <laughs> um, okay. Even though it's on Netflix and I have no real <laughs> excuse at this point. Um, I moved it to number one because I think the momentum's there. 
style of animation. I think a lot of people watch it over the holidays, um, so it's fresh in people's minds, uh, which is not exactly the case for Toy Story 4, which I did enjoy, but I feel the staying power is not there in the same way. Um, I, I, in same, and I guess the same thing would definitely go to Missing Link and How to Train Your Dragon, which are first quarter movies. Yeah. Um, so they're definitely out of people's minds. Yeah. Uh, so my, I guess Klaus is my front runner. Was the, but it's really neck and neck with Toy Story Four. Um, Missing Link is a, uh, is a dark horse though. And yeah, I think, I think my personal pick might be How to Train Your Dragon, just because I think the series should be awarded at some point. Yeah. And this is, I think, the final movie mm-hmm. in the in the trilogy. Yep. Uh, and I think the the first one had an uphill battle going up against Toy Story 3, and the second one I think got snubbed for that win. So yeah. I, I personally would like to see it go to that, but I, I realistically know it's not going to happen. See, I've been... I've never had a struggle with an animated feature before in this category, and I was thinking, Klaus, just because it has a lot of momentum right now, there's just it, it, there's a lot going for it. But I can't go against the Academy and the Mouse House. There's just even though people are saying, well, it's a sequel, and they might not want to award the franchise, there is a love for Disney within the Academy. Whether it's an original idea, a sequel. I bet I, I honestly thought without Spider-Man last year, Incredibles two was going to win the Oscar. I do think oh, without a doubt. I I think that they, they were going to award a sequel within Pixar within Disney Animation, and I think they'll do it here. I do have Toy Story four winning, and I loved. I thought I lost my body was incredible. The animation was amazing. Klaus was very interesting. I was surprised by it being a more deeper film than just a Christmas film. Missing Link, I enjoyed, and, and How to Train Your Dragon, I thought, was 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 sweet. It was a great conclusion to a, a really, really great trilogy that I think has gone, hasn't been appreciated as much as it should be. I definitely think it's one of the best trilogies we've seen within la- the last decade. But I just think Toy Story 4, the pressure that was on that movie to deliver something that was in the vein of Toy Story 3 and really maybe not succeeding or 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 going over what Toy Story 3 did, not being as great as that movie, but still being on a great level, having great timely messages about letting go, what your purpose is. And I just think it's something that just keeps Pixar on, on another level, and I think Toy Story 4 is going to win this award, and it should win this award, with Klaus being, my, being the dark horse, even though it is neck and neck right now. I do think Klaus... I would not be surprised if that name is called, but I just... I, it would be against my grain of my mindset for what I think the Academy loves, the Mouse House. It would be going against everything I know that I think the Academy knows about Disney. So I got to go with Toy Story 4 for Best Animated Feature. Yeah, I mean, it's a safe bet. And also, to make a point against myself, it is now the uh, the only Disney movie in the lineup with the Frozen 2 uh, snub. So it's it's... All that Disney loves is in one isolated place and isn't split anymore. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's important to note. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think some people see it as a detriment that they didn't nominate Frozen 2, but because of your point, it could be a big winner for it, saying that maybe the Academy thought we could go with, they thought 4 was better than 2, which could be what happened. So we'll see. It's, it's, it's one of the tighter races that I've seen in, uh, in recent years. 
All right, now moving on to best visual effects. The nominees are 1917, The Lion King, The Irishman, Avengers Endgame, and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. So, Jason, I just want you to know, I'm looking at my Gold Derby account right now for all my predictions. Guess where I have Avengers Endgame and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker on my list? Four and five? Absolutely. I have them four and five. I do not. The recent years with the Academy with big blockbuster films like this, I don't think it's going to have any success, even though Endgame was a uh, was a culmination of what Marvel has done for the past decade or so. I don't think they're going to give it an award. It's just I think there's something against a superhero movie like that. I do have 1917 winning this award. I just think there's a love behind that movie. I think the way that the visuals were needed for that film were incredible. What I think should win, however, in my dark horse is The Lion King. I think The Lion King, I go back to what happened in 2016 when it's the same team that was behind that film when John Favreau and his visual effects team for creating a world that was on a sound stage and this was all within within a studio within VR goggles within the world of virtual reality they were able to create this in and I thought that was incredible the one film that I think is a dark horse and going back to our earlier talk about the Irishman and what what categories it might have a shot at winning I think this is a dark horse for this film because of the de-aging technology and how seamless Pacino and Pesci looked in. Even though De Niro in the beginning was a little wonky, I think as the film went on, the, the his de-aging looked a lot more, more a lot more fluid, a lot more natural. And I would be I I wouldn't be shocked if this was the the category that the Irishman potentially won. Yeah, I can't disagree with any of that. We've had a history back to our screening room days with this category. Um, the yes. past couple of years, we've we've gotten pretty heated about it. We have. I don't. I don't know if we're. Hopefully, we're on the same page this time. But I don't know. This time we're on the same page. So okay. We'll call it a wash. Um, I do have 1917 as the number one, um, because just by the principle of, they usually like to award the best movie with visual effects, not the movie with the best visual effects. Right. Um, and when I mean best, I mean by Oscar standards. So. Even though Avengers Infinity War was a great movie, they completely First Man is definitely the Oscar movie that was in that bunch. So right. you don't bet against the Oscar movie. No, you don't. Uh, and then Jungle Book came out in a weird year uh, where it was going up against four other movies that were not necessarily Oscar movies. Um, right. I, I can't remember the lineup offhand, but it was it was going up against uh, against movies that were not necessarily, um, you know. I don't think there were any best picture nominees in the in the lineup, so it kind of got no. to got an easy win there. So yeah, so I have nineteen seventeen in first for that reason. Um, right now I have Avengers in second, just in case they decide to go by traditional standards. <laughs> I don't I don't think so, but I would love but for it to I happen. Think, I think Lion King also has a good chance, but I think the two of them kind of cancel each other out in a way of the big spectacle blockbusters. Right. Um, I think I think Irishman is a safe third choice, um, just for the aging technology and it being an Oscar movie. Right. I think people are. It, it's a it's new, and that's why it's uh, it's interesting to see how it'll do if it'll do anything. Um, just because we haven't had any de-aging movies like this, and at, at uh, this rate, so we kind of—it's hard to gauge how the Academy views stuff like this. Right. 
And I think Star Wars, I have it on my number five, but they released a very interesting video a few days ago about showing the layers that went into making that movie. And I thought that was very impressive. But again, I going off the basis of what of Endgame, and I don't think they're going to award a blockbuster like that for... Definitely not uh, this Star Wars yeah. movie. Oh, wait, especially one that was eh at the most. So, yeah. Not critically acclaimed. Yes. They're not rushing out to see it. It's, it's, uh, exactly. Yeah. All right, so so we both have 1917 winning though for best visual effects. All right, we do. Um, I guess Dark Horse being either Avengers Endgame, Irishman. My personal pick, I uh, guess, would be Lion King. Yeah, I I got. I, I love the I, I love the visuals of Lion King. I, I mean, yeah, despite the flaws of it, I, I I like it more than most people. Yeah. I do, I do have to say, like, again, when, when I reviewed it and I saw it, the one thing that I couldn't deny was when the Circle of Life song came up, the goosebumps were coming over me. Just I was in awe for what Favreau was able to do once again with The Lion King. And it's the, the visuals are the standout of that movie. And, again, I think they should be rewarded. But I think, again, 1917, we both agree, will take that award. Now moving on to the sound awards, going on to best sound mixing now. So, Jason, do you want to give – Real quick, uh, uh, an, an overview of what the difference is between sound editing and sound mixing before we get into the category, just so the audience knows the difference between the two. I'll give the, um, the all you really need to know, the basic, the basic surface level definition, which should be fair, 90% of the voting members also know it as this. Um, sound mixing is the sound that is done live on set um, and then later mixed in post, whereas sound editing is all of the sound that is not captured on set and is added in post-production. Um, the reason why the Academy members don't know the ins and out of this is because a lot of them don't really even know what <laughs> what was on and off set. Right. Um, so usually it only becomes relevant when a big musical is, uh, is in competition because right. that is where sound mixing is the most relevant. Lee Miz won this category. And that's yeah. pretty much when this category splits is for reasons like that. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody won sound mixing last year, but mm-hmm. it also won editing. So I think for the most part, they they stay the same. I think this year they're going to stay the same. Um, actually, my, my lineups are pretty much identical yeah, right I th- now. I, I think both of ours are identical as well, but we're going to go through them real quick. So the nominees for Best Sound Mixing, we'll start with that one, are 1917, Ford v. Ferrari, Joker, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Ad Astra. Again, my win for this one is 1917. I, I just think, and I, and I think it deserves it as well, just because of the way the sound flows in that film. It's just incredible. My dark horse would be Ford versus Ferrari to take that because of the the, the car noises that they're able to implement in in the movie. Yeah, I I have the same way. 1917 is my front runner. Number two is um, Ford v Ferrari. I think that I would have, I guess, 1917 win. But again, I'm not a sound person, so yeah. I can't really say. Ford v Ferrari was also pretty cool. Um, but I think that's probably more of a conversation for sound editing. I think, yeah, I guess 1917 would be my pick for the Ferrari Dark Horse. Um, just, you know, the scale of a movie like 1917, Ward kind of stuff, That that's the, that's the bread and butter of the yeah. sound branch. Not the sound branch, but 
what the Academy fixed the sound branch is. Right, yeah. And, and within a big visual, a big spectacle like 1917 was, you implement the sound into that, it, it, it adds the spectacle of it. Exactly. All right. Now, moving on to best sound editing, the nominees are 1917, Ford v. Ferrari, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, and Joker. Jason, to this one, what do you say wins? Are we looking at a sound sweep of 1917? Yeah, I think it's a safe bet, um, but also I think Ford v. Ferrari is, is a close second. I think if you want to if you want to guarantee winning, because I think it's gonna kick, whatever wins one is gonna win the other. I think. Um, so if you're worried about picking 1917 and Ford v Ferrari, pick one for one, pick one for the other, yeah. and you'll guarantee at least getting one. Um, but I'm I'm playing to win. Same. So I, I have 1917 <laughs> in both. I, um, I agree. With you. But I think I personally would pick Ford v Ferrari for sound editing. From my limited understanding of how it works, okay. I think this would probably be where where it wins okay. in my eyes. But again, I'm not an expert at this, so I really shouldn't even be saying. <laughs> we're ju- we're just picking our winners for what we think will win because we're in it to win it, and we love award season, and we love the Oscars, and we got to go through every single category. To, to, yeah. to get you guys to informed about what we think for when you're checking off your Oscar ballots for Sunday night. All right, so we have 1917 sweeping the sound categories. Now we're going to go on to best song, and the nominees are I'm Gonna Love Me Again from Rocketman, Into the Unknown, Frozen 2, Stand Up from Harriet, I'm Standing With You, Breakthrough, and I Can't Let You Throw Yourself Away from Toy Story 4. To me, Jason, the film that's been kind of on a tear for this category and all the the precursors has been I'm Gonna Love Me Again with Elton John, Rocketman. And so I have that one winning, but I do think a dark horse and the one that I think should win it is Into the Unknown from Frozen 2. I love that song. Is it no? Is it Let It Go? No. But I do think it's something different. It's a, it's a unique song. And I think it's the one that has a shot at winning it. My dark horse would be Stand Up from Harriet. But I do think Elton John is going to take this one. Yeah, I agree with Rocky Man winning. I think this is was always its strongest shot of winning anything, and mm-hmm. it's its only nomination. Yeah. And Paramount now is putting all of their resources into this one nomination. I think it's Bill. I think I was checking on Twitter. I think Billboard's latest magazine cover is both front and back uh, for consideration for just this song. Yeah, so that tells you all you need to know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> into the unknown. I just don't. I didn't find it as memorable. Um, I think Toy Story 4, is a, you know, it's a potential. I don't know. Maybe I don't want to throw one to Randy Newman, nominated twice. Yeah. Um, we'll get to his second nomination next. Um, Diane Warren has always has racked up those nominations and has yet to win, so maybe Breakthrough, but Breakthrough is absolutely not the kind of movie to, <laughs> no, it, to win. Yeah. I, I think Academy voters are not watching that movie. Nope. And Cynthia Revo nominated for stand-up, um... It's a solid, inspirational song, but I think I'm Gonna Love Me Again is, is the easy bet. It is the only song of these that I, like, actively listen to. Yeah, I, <laughs> for, it's a good song. For, for, for enjoyment. Um, it would also be not just Elton's second Oscar, but it would be Bernie Taupin's first Oscar. Um, this is, so they would actually get the win as a songwriting duo, which... 
you know, if you've seen the movie, it kind of brings a full circle. You know how important the two of them are together. Yeah, and it kind of brings a full circle. Like when you watch yeah. the movie and, and this storyline to it, 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 it's nice. Yeah, and it's, it's a solid song. My number two is Stand Up from Harriet, but I, I really do think that I'm Gonna Love Me Again is is the safe pick, is the right pick. Yeah. Um, I think they're gonna do it well. Okay, so going on from best song out to best original score, the nominees are Joker, 1917, Marriage Story, Little Women, and Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Jason, to me, what should win, will win, is Joker without a doubt. I, I, You know how much I love the score. My, the audience knows how much I love the score. I think it's an integral part of the story. I Like you, listen, I'm going to love me again on loop. I listen to the score of Joker. I just think it's beautiful and, and menacing and heartbreaking. And I just love what they did with that score. But I do think the Dark Horse... Like in the other sound categories, is 1917 to win this one. But overall, I think Joker, this is one of the awards that it'll take away from its 11 nominations. Yeah, I think this is a very safe win for Joker. It's uh, It's been sweeping yeah. pretty much all over the place for the score. Uh, I think even people who don't like the movie um, at least recognize the quality of the, the music behind it. And the composer, Hilder, last name, she is a very likable person. If you've seen mm-hmm. any interviews with her, yeah. and she's been going around um, promoting this yeah. nonstop. And I think people, you know, they feel like this could be a historic win. It's been like over 20 years since a female composer has won this award. And uh, that just doesn't seem right. So, no, it's not. Yeah, I think that's the front runner, and I think that would be my personal pick. Um, 1917, Thomas Newman. Also, uh, hasn't won. Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, you know, I think this is thirteenth or fourteenth nomination. Wow. He's been making movie or doing, you know, getting nominations since the early nineties, I believe. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been just at it for a while, and yeah, he'll he'll get it one day. Okay. Um, he, he should talk to it's Deacons. Just, it's just not going to be here. Yeah, no, it's not. He should talk to Deacons though about about patience and waiting, and uh. Waiting, wait, waiting for the right time to uh, for for an award since it took Deacon so long, and it seems like he's on his way to getting two in the last few years. But also the, the he will one day. But I just think that also the story of the score about how unconventional it was for them for the score to be written before the movie and then for them to play it during the set, I think is incredible. So I think there's a nice story behind it as well for how great the store the score was for it. So we have Joker across the board. To win best original score. Now we get into some some of the areas now where we could get some upsets down the line. And so we're going to get into best production design. And the nominees are Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Parasite, Jojo Rabbit, 1917, and The Irishman. Now Jason, a few weeks ago, to me I would have told you that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood had this on lock and key. However, I think over the last few weeks... Jojo Rabbit, Parasite have kind of made up some ground a little bit, and there could be an upset in this category, and I think it's between those three movies. And to you, what do you say about one of those three winning, or do you think it's 1917 or Irishman? Who do you have winning this category? This is a tough one. It's really tough. Um, Right now, I have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at number one, and the reasoning is just that I do think that that the Academy likes to reward itself when it can 
And I think this is a, it represents a period of nostalgia, and I think it captures that nostalgia so well. And Tarantino makes a point to highlight the production design of this movie. Um, something that I feel like Parasite does not in the same way because I think a lot of, I think just enough voters who are looking at Parasite don't understand the intricacies of the uh, set. That it's not just about a house. It's not only is that house designed specifically the way it's designed, but the entire neighborhood of that uh, that the family lives in that they flood. That that's all a set. They had to create that all from scratch. There's so much going on there, and I think a lot of people would just look at it and be like, okay, but they just went to some poor neighborhood and shot. And I just don't think enough people will know um that's why i have it right outside um i i think hollywood just by being more blatant about it by being more open with its production it's just so obvious how much work went into making that i think it's the winner um and the only other movie that i think highlights its uh its production design as much if not more would be 1917 um and also how those sets had to be created, you know, with the specific distances from each other because of the one-shot um, tactic they were using. You have to, you can't have a set that's too long or too short, or else the entire flow of the movie is off. I mean, right. the attention to detail for that is insane. So I think either of those would be, either 1917 or Parasite would be worthy winners, but I think... Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the frontrunner. Everything you just said about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was the reason I had it as my frontrunner. Everything you just said. However, you also gave, you also explained all the reasons that I think why Parasite is a frontrunner to win this award. I I just think that while the Academy might not look at it that way, I do think that there's just... Again, we're going to talk about it more and more and more as we talk about these other awards, but there's just something about Parasite that I think it's going to be attributed towards something like a production design. From everything that, that – all the interviews and, and all the the red carpets, there's been, I think, so m- much that's talked about the production design between the building of the houses, all the both the Parks and the Kims, and then the way that, that they used the flooding and that it was not natural, but that they had to rebuild and build those sets up. I just think that there's something special about that that is worthy of winning the Oscar for Best Production Design. But I do, do I do agree that if there's one there's one film to take it away, and I would I will kill myself if it not not that, but I'll I I will be very angry. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I, I I will I will be very angry if 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 Once Upon a Time wins because everything you just said about it is a reason why I think for for the longest time it was going to win. But I just think there's more momentum now with Parasite that it's that those are one of the awards it will take and it deserves it. But if Once Upon a Time in Hollywood wins, I completely understand why too because the way that you just you're 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 teleported into this world that is just you want to go back to all the time. Like whenever whenever I think about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I want to go right back to that world that Quentin we created that I've only seen in reels and photos that just is spectacular and how he had to shut down blocks of LA to, to to recreate that world is incredible but I just think 
there's something about Parasite, the way they that they built those worlds that were just those locations that were integral to the film is just remarkable. So I, I have Parasite winning, and I have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as as the very, 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 very close front um, runner-up dark horse to winning Best Production Design. But it's very tough, though. I, I'm yeah. I think I mean we're we're all we're I think we're thinking the same way, but we're weighing things differently. Yeah. I, I have it one. It's the one two, but I have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as my number one. Um, but I do think. Personally, Parasite would be my pick, but I think 1917 also has a very strong chance. I yeah. think it really is a coin toss between those three. It's tough. Again, for the longest time, I thought this was a done deal with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but those two films that have been really... They, they, they haven't been interchangeable from one another. Parasite and 1917 just keep coming up all these categories together and causing mayhem, which we all love. We all love the mayhem of award season. All right, now moving on to best per, from best production design to best makeup and hairstyling. The nominees are Bombshell, Joker, Judy, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, and 1917. To me, Jason, the, the one that deserves to win and will win is Bombshell, with Joker, to me, coming up behind of it just because of the way they, they were able to make Joaquin Phoenix look. It's be, iconic. It's you iconic. Know, you can't say 19... Uh, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker is not an iconic character yeah. now, thanks to the makeup. Yeah, but I just think Bombshell, the way they were able to make Lithgow and Charlize as Ailes and Kelly is remarkable. So I have that one winning. Yeah, last two winners for this category, Vice and Darkest Hour. Bombshell, I think, lines up perfectly with that. Yeah, um, Yeah, they turned Megyn Kelly, or Charlize Theron, into Megyn Kelly. Um, and... I think it'll get plenty of attention for that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's really it. I don't. I yeah. mean, Joker's my number two, but I I don't think that it really has a shot at it. I think Bombshell should and should and will win. Yes, I agree with that one hundred percent. All right, moving on to best film editing now. The nominees are Parasite, Ford v Ferrari, Joker, Jojo Rabbit, and The Irishman. Now, Jason, with film editing, usually this could allude to. What could win Best Picture? And while Parasite is a frontrunner for Best Picture right now, 1917 isn't on here for Best Film Editing. To you, what do you think wins Best Film Editing? And do you think this, without getting into the, the Best Picture itself, do you think this is an indication of what will win Best Picture later on that night? What do you think is going to win? Know, it, it hasn't fully correlated as of late. Um, definitely was not the case last year. Yeah. Um, the nomination is more of a security thing. Um, with Green Book, it got that nomination, and even though it was the number five in the category, probably, it just needed the nomination to secure that, yeah, we're a viable thing, we got our one necessary below-the-line category. Um, 1917 isn't nominated, and it's a shame that it's not, um, because even though, I, th- I, I think the even though it it's aesthetically looks like one shot, it's just stitching together a lot of long takes. It seems like it's not as much work. Um, anyone who knows anything about editing knows that that's not necessarily the truth to how that actually works, but we don't need to get into specifics yeah. of that. Um, Birdman also did not get an editing nomination and one best picture, um, probably for similar reasons because of the one shot tactic. Um, right now I have Ford v. Ferrari at number one. Even though I had Parasite up at number one for such a long time, 
Um, because for one BAFTA, it did lose the editing guild, but it's won pretty much everywhere else. And BAFTA editing correlates very well with uh, with Oscar winning editing outside of last year. I think that it's the kind of movie with flashy enough editing. Um, obviously, people are watching it. And I think I think it's just for the last forty minutes alone. I, I think yeah. it's what's got editing. But if there's enough passion behind Parasite, I think that's got it too. Um, that's got a shot too. Um, and then I would put Irishman as a solid number three, okay. just because of, cause of uh, Selma Schumacher's loves. Yeah, there's a lot of yeah. No, I agree. I I see. I think I have Ford of Your Ferrari is my number two. I think is a dark horse, but I think because of the love. For Parasite again, there's just there, there's a surge within the Academy for this movie. I, I just I don't know what it is, and I think Parasite is a really good, well edited film that paces itself so well. And within editing, the pace is what dictates from the editing, and I think Parasite does that really well. And so I think Parasite is my front runner, and I think is the lock to win for best film editing. With Ford v Ferrari coming in as a dark horse, would I have loved to see Ford v Ferrari win? Yes, I, that's my number two movie of the year. I love that movie. I think it should win it, but I just think again the love for Parasite is there, and I think it's going to win Best Film Editing. Yeah, I think we're completely flipped because yeah. I think Parasite should win, um, but I think Ford v Ferrari will win. Um, yeah. Maybe we, neither of us want to get our hopes up. <laughs> yeah, I I just think for me it's like a lot of these categories are are toss ups. To me. It, it is. It, it, this is this is another one where it is a toss up. Um, I, I maybe I'm just underestimating Parasite. You'll see, it's a common scene. Because <laughs> um, because I think we both love that movie so much, and I think but the opposite of what we're doing is that you want to see it win, but you're not you're not getting your hopes up for it. Whereas I think I'm getting my hopes up for it, and I think that people that maybe think that it should get all these accolades don't think it will just because of the way maybe the academy is thinking towards it and because it's a foreign film whereas i think people might embrace this movie for that yeah i can't disagree all right so moving on from best film editing now we go to best costume design and the nominees for this category are little women once upon a time in hollywood jojo rabbit joker and the irishman jason i said it last week i'm gonna say it this week i think what will win is Little Women. I think the Academy loves period pieces. They love the design of the of, of when it comes to the women's gowns and to the to the to the suits the men wear. I just think people love those designs from the Academy. What I think should win, and I think is a dark horse to me, is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I do I think the costumes for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood stand out from what Leo wears as Rick Dalton to, to Cliff and to what Sharon Tate wears. It's just when you see those costumes you recognize those costumes, but I just think because of the love the Academy has for period pieces, and then last year with the favorite, I think Little Women comes out on top with this one and wins Best Costume Design. See what do you say to I that? I would like to note that the favorite lost costume design to Black oh, Panther. Oh, did it? Did it? Year. Okay, okay. My mistake. That's my mistake. But there is no real Black Panther comparison. Um, they're all actually period pieces. Yes, it's they just are. Which one is the most is the most unique and showiest? Um, and I'm gonna go with Little Women. Um, that's my front runner. It won Bath the last year, or last year, last <laughs> week. Um, feels like a year ago. Um, my 
personal pick would be Jojo Rabbit. I think a lot of the costumes there are used effectively, um, not just to like capture the time period, but um, you know you have things like the shoes and just the way that you're able to actually emotionally connect to the costume of that movie. That's important, and also Sam Rockwell at the end. I mean, that's just an yeah, incredible, it's, unique costume. It is. It out. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is cool. Um, that's my number two. Uh, it definitely could win, but I don't think I'd personally have a win because there's just like half of that, half of the wardrobe in that movie you could just get at the thrift store. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not, I mean, just because the it's a time period that's not that that long ago, and and some of the style is some of the costumes are still in style now. Um, maybe that's just me projecting too much. I don't know. I can I can understand that. I can understand where you're coming from with that. But I, but we do agree that Little Women is the one is the favorite to win this award on February 9th. Yeah. All right. Now moving on to best cinematography, the nominees are 1917, Joker, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman, and The Lighthouse, getting a little bit of love in the cinematography Woo! category, which is well deserved. But Jason, I think like. Parasite and international film. I think this is the second surefire bet of the night, and that is 1917. Deacons has been winning every single precursor known to man for this award. No doubt. So yeah, to me, 1917 will win, should win, and I don't even think for me a dark horse could be Joker. But even then, I think it, it's it's a very very long gap between the dark horse and 1917. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, there's. 1917 and first, and then four movies, or yeah, four movies tied for fifth. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, it's got in a cakewalk. The the one the one take is uh is beautiful. You can't yeah, argue with it. Roger Deakins. People are gonna want to reward him again. Yeah. Um, because he deserves the second Oscar after finally getting his first yeah. a couple years ago. Um, yeah. Happy the Lighthouse made it though. Yeah, I'm very um, happy yeah, about that. Uh, I, I guess Joker is the the dark horse, but. Really, it's 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 1917. Yeah. For all of it, I mean, I, I, I again, this this would be if you're betting on any of these four other movies, you're winning a lot of money because I think everyone's gonna place all their money on 1917. But I think a lot of people are probably smart in placing on 1917. All right, now moving on to the screenplay categories now, and to me, Jason, these are the to, to me these are the toss-ups of the night. I know we'll get into best picture, best director, but there's a lot of competition within these screenplays right now. I know I changed my I've changed my pick for both of them recently. Yeah. So let's uh All right. let's get into it. All right. For best original screenplay, the nominees are Parasite, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Marriage Story, 1917, and Knives Out also getting a little love in this category. So Jason, best original screenplay to you, what do you think will win on Sunday night? Parasite. I've changed it to Parasite. WGA and BAFTA confirmed it to me. Um once Upon a Time in Hollywood got Globe and Critics' Choice, and those are the two groups that don't um, that don't vote for Oscars. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm going to go Parasite. To be fair to Hollywood, it was not eligible for WGA, so Parasite went up again. Didn't go up against it head to head. But the only other time it did, uh, it won. Uh, Par- I mean. Uh, 1917 or Marriage yeah, Story? Or, uh, yeah, Parasite won. Yeah. So it should win. I think it will win, but Hollywood is the dark horse to win. Um, unfortunately, I think Marriage Story is, is not in contention yeah. anymore. Yeah, I
early January, I had Marriage Story as my front runner. I had it winning the Golden Globe at the time because of I just thought it was a great story, great script, and that was the strength of it. But I do think, like you, I have Parasite winning, and it should win this award just because of the way that it 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 weaves in so many different genres between comedy, drama, horror, thriller, so elegantly, so fluidly is remarkable and the way that you're exposed to these characters and, and are entrenched in not just one set of set of, of a family but both at the same time i think it's incredible it deserves to win wga bafta it's the last weekend i think kind of put a surge in parasite winning best original screenplay but like you jason i think the dark horse is mr quentin tarantino the academy loves him especially for his screenplays he's won for pulp fiction and django unchained so i definitely do think that there is a lot of love for his screenplay for hollywood so keep an eye out on that one but i agree with you parasite to me is going to win this award cool. all right yeah, it would be great. I would love it. I, I want to see Bong up there a lot more than just for one category. So I think this is the best place to reward him. Yeah. I think this is the easiest place to give him that, that other win. I agree. All right. Now, moving on to Best Adapted Screenplay, and the nominees are Jojo Rabbit, Little Women, Joker, The Irishman, and The Two Popes. Now, Jason, with this category, it seemed like for the longest time it was, it was a race and a battle between Taika Waititi and Greta Gerwig. Greta Gerwig's script was the frontrunner for a while, but then this past weekend, the, both the BAFTAs and the WGA awarded Taika Waititi for Jojo Rabbit. So, to you, good sir, who wins this award, Greta or Taika? Or do you think it's somebody it's else? Just, it's, been, it's been a journey for this one category. Yeah. Um, I think, like, it just, Irishman seemed to make sense for a while, and then two pokes came in. I thought that script was so good. I'm like, oh, man, it's going to be between these two and Little Women, one critic's choice, and we're like, okay. So they're going to give it to Gerwig. She's going to get her long overdue right. award, and she won the Scripters Award. Um, so it's like, okay, so she beat out these other movies there. Um, so I guess they're going to finally give it to her. And then Aston WGA went to Taika for JoJo. And um, like I said with the BAFTAs, um, this is the category where people vote with their hearts. Yeah. And I think Adapted is usually um, reserved for movies like Little Women, Irishmen, um, two popes, more standard um, biopic kind, either biopics or period piece kind of movies, more standard movies. And even though JoJo technically is an adapted screenplay, it right. just feels so original. It does. Um, I, and it's just, I think it would be a very unique adapted screenplay winner. And I think that Taika is such a likable guy. Um, and Gerwig is obviously a kind of person who will be contending multiple times yes. in the future. She Absolutely. will have her chance to win after this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think same with Parasite. It's all about momentum. And the last thing voters are thinking when they're checking off their boxes is, wow, this is the movie that just won two big awards last weekend or this weekend as I'm voting. Um, I, I would Now that I see that it's okay, I, I'd be happy to give this to him. Yeah. So yeah, JoJo is my... Number one pick, um, I personally think that it should win. That's probably my favorite, that or Irishman. Um, but Little Women is the dark horse there. See, I agree with you with JoJo. I think the WGA and BAFTA really helped kind of make a surge for Taika in this. I, I really, really enjoy JoJo Rabbit. I know it's I'm not on as high on it as a lot of other people. I do think that it was an incredible screenplay. I love Taika's direction, I think, of it more, but his wit, his heart, the humor, it was all in that screenplay, and I think he definitely, 
I would be very, very happy for him to win this award, and I think he's going to win it. But I just think with, even though it's been adapted so many times beforehand, I think what Greta Gerwig did for Little Women was so fresh and new. And even though her direction was great, everything was in that screenplay from from changing up the with the flashbacks and make every, everything ebb and flow together, I think was just remarkable. So I think what I would love to see win, what I think should win is Little Women, and I think the Dark Horse, like you, is Little Women. But I think JoJo is going to come out on top. And, I, and and again, even though I want to see Little Women get that screenplay win, I am very, very happy for Taika Waititi. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm, so, I'm going to be ready to see Taika or Greta, whoever, one of those two, get on that stage and accept that award because they are both incredible artists and are really the future pinnacle of when it comes to writers, directors, and artists in the future. I can't just cruise any of that. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I'm, no I, I love it. it. It's an exciting category. It I, is. I'm happy to see uh, any yeah. of the front runners yeah. win it. And and when you look at these two these two runners right now, these two leading ones, both of them both wrote it and directed it. Even though Joker Todd Phillips wrote it and and directed it, he had help along the way. But the Irishman, two popes, were all written by somebody, but was directed by somebody else. These are two artists that, from beginning to end, saw this movie through, which I think is remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, sorry, I just yawned there. It's um, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. I can't disagree with any of that. It's, 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 uh, yeah. All right. Moving on now to the acting categories. I think we can run through these really, really quick ever since a lot of the actors have been winning a lot of the precursors, but we'll get into it right now. Best Supporting Actor, the nominees are Brad Pitt, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Tom Hanks, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Anthony Hopkins, The Two Popes, Al Pacino, The Irishman, and Joe Pesci, for the Irishman, Jason, to you, who wins this category? And, and and instead of asking who I think will win in the Dark Horse, because all these actors have been winning every single award known to man this award season for these categories, who do you think can upset them? Okay, um, Brad Pitt is gonna win. Um, <laughs> Joe Pesci, I guess, upset, but it's Brad Pitt's to lose. Yeah, it, yeah it's it's it, people have enjoyed him so much. Even at the BAFTAs, where he couldn't accept his award, he had Margot Robbie deliver prepared remarks for him, and even that killed it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it just seems like this is like the Brad Pitt redemption tour, yeah. even though he wasn't even really doing poorly in the public eye before. It's just yeah. like, everyone just loves him right now. I don't know what else cool to say. Uh, yeah, he's a cool guy. And I mean, look, the, the, the performance he gives, it's not like it's on the level like a Joaquin Phoenix or Renee, but... It fits right along with him, and some other people can maybe not do well in that role. He's perfect for that role, and Quentin knows it, and he performed it flawlessly. And I think it, he deserves just, accolades for that. He's always been a surprisingly great character actor. Yeah. Just in a leading man's body. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, it just kind of kind of marries those two pieces of him so well. I mean, it's just the ultimate kind of Brad Pitt performance. It, it makes is. sense to... Give yeah. it to him. Even though I think there's a little more depth to something like Joe Pesci and the Irishman, I, I totally get where they're coming from yeah. with giving it to Brad Pitt here. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I won't be upset about it, but yeah, even yeah. though Joe Pesci is probably my personal pick. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Brad Pitt is the is going to be the winner for this one. And But instead of going with Joe Pesci, I'm going to go with Al Pacino. I thought, again, Pesci coming out of retirement, it was great. He was, especially for a different role and what he's used to in a Scorsese movie, I just thought Pacino, when he came on screen, I was glued to him instantly. He just brought a, a different energy to the movie 
that I thought once he was in and out, it was a different it, it was a different movie without him in it. And I so I think to me that just goes to show how great of a performer Al Pacino is, even though we all know it. So yeah. So going on to best supporting actress now, the nominees are Laura Dern for Marriage Story, Florence Pugh for Little Women, Scarlett Johansson for Jojo Rabbit, Margot Robbie for Bombshell, and Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell. So, Jason, do you think Kathy Bates is the one to win this one, right? Kathy Bates has it in the bag. <laughs> no, it's Laura Dern. Yeah. Um, good for Kathy Bates for randomly sliding in there yeah. and taking J-Lo's spot. Yeah. Um, but now that J-Lo's gone, they just like basically did that so they could confirm that this is Laura Dern yeah. for good. And I, I don't know. Personally, it would be between Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh for me. But, again, I'm not going to be upset about Lawrence, Laura Dern literally almost – voted to be the president of the entire academy that's pretty obviously remarkable. she has love there yeah her career deserves an oscar and it's i'm a... not going to complain that her and mary story are getting an award tonight because of this yeah no i, I agree with you full heartedly 100 of the way i think laura dern is going to win this award if there was an upset for me and i think a personal pick for me it would be florence Pugh. i just think and i've i've said it on this podcast so many times i've said it to people i think florence Pugh had one of the best years you could have as, as an up-and-comer actress just oh, yeah. from the three films she was in, Fighting With My Family, Midsummer, Little Women, she starred in all of them. She she shined in all. They were all great movies. And I think for me, I would love to see her win this award, but I think she will be here for future years to come. I think she's going to be one of those rising stars that has like a Jennifer Lawrence kind of career, kind of, in which she, she'll be up for multiple awards. But I, yeah, sure. I can, yeah, but I think Laura Dern is, is winning this award without a doubt, and I'll be happy to see her up there. All right, moving on to Best Actor now, and the nominees are Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, Adam Driver for Marriage Story, Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory, Jonathan Price for The Two Popes, Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Leonardo DiCaprio is going to get his second Oscar in the last five years, Jason. I'm calling it Wouldn't right now. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't oh, it be nice? But it not really. Nice. I, no. I mean, he, he's not my favorite. No, he's it, not. It's Joaquin Phoenix, obviously. Yeah. yeah. He's got it. He's got the momentum. Um, he gave a great speech at the Baftas, by the way. His um, his award season speeches. He's have been when you watch from the Golden Globes onward have been incredible. Yeah, he's been getting a little more comfortable with them. Yeah. Um, he's you know he's he's just really one of the best actors working right now, yeah. and it's it's nice to see that he's finally going to get it. Yeah. Um, Adam Driver is the number two here, probably. But I, I, I think personally, I would I would vote for Joaquin Phoenix in this lineup. And yeah, yeah, um, I'm glad he's finally getting the love. Yeah, no, I agree. I think when when you look at this performance, you don't even see Joaquin. You see Joker, Arthur Fleck, and just the physical transformation, the the psychological transformation he had to go through. And I know people are going to say, "Well, it's the Joker. He's winning an award that for a character that's already won an award." But they're two completely different roles, two completely different characters, two yeah, completely different movies. It, it's it, and it, exactly it gives more credit to doing something that's completely different and of leading this movie really from the first frame to the last frame. It's all Joaquin Phoenix, and so I think that 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 should commend him for doing that. And I do think the upset would be Adam Driver. I do think if Joaquin Phoenix didn't wasn't this year, if Joker wasn't this year, I think Adam Driver is the front runner for this award. I I th- thought he put on. A remarkable performance in *Marriage yeah, Story* so and was the highlight. There. there are um, just just a lot of a lot going on. Yeah, and, and yeah, I, it, it's in, in another year. Yeah, exactly. Um, he'll he'll in be another year. Exactly. Adam Sandler would also be here. Exactly, but you know what? Like dreams that cannot be. Exactly, but like Florence Pugh, Adam Driver will be here 
in future years like he was last year. He was in for Best Supporting Actor, so he'll, he'll be around yeah, no, for a long time. Exactly. All right, moving on to Best Actress now. The nominees are Renee Zellweger for Judy, Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story, Saoirse Ronan for Little Women, Charlize Theron for Bombshell, and Cynthia Erivo for Harriet. Jason and me, again, Renee is the one to win this award. I thought... For a movie that could have been a six or even a seven, maybe, she moves it to like an eight, nine film. She moves it to be a great film, Judy. And I think she deserves this award. She wins it. The upset to me is Scarlett Johansson. I thought Scarlett was like Adam Driver, just magnifying and, and electric and brought this emotional depth to an incredible story. But this is Renee's year. She's been winning it. She's been getting the buzz ever since this movie debuted in Toronto. So, yeah, I, I give Renee the, the win for this one. I can't disagree, and it's on. And it's a great. Everything you said is true. I also have Scarlett as the number two, but the way Zellweger's career has made this just giant comeback. I mean, she really was not taken seriously for the better part of this decade, at least. Yeah. Um, as an actress, her time had come and gone, and people had just stopped looking at her in the same way. Um, and and she really did just. Even though it wasn't even in the best movie, it's it's you know to say there's no such thing as bad roles, but bad only bad actors. And you know she took this this movie that's on its surface level, it's fairly generic, nothing special to it, and she just added so much to her character. And yeah. I I think I'd give it to her. It's yeah. Just she she brought the darkness to the story. She did. Um, and she she really she was like the heart and soul of yeah. that entire yeah. film, and the only thing you come out of that really thinking about. Yeah, and and yeah, and and and, and she sings her own songs too, Jason. If anybody and knows it's a lot, she sings her own songs. If if people know what we're talking about, you know what we're talking about. But uh, yeah, so Renee is gonna win this award. I can't wait to hear her acceptance speech. You know, Jason, I thought I knew she was from Texas. I knew she was from the South, but I didn't know she had that thick of an accent. It, it's it, so I'm excited to hear that at the Academy this year. Definitely don't sound like Judy Garland. Definitely not, but she definitely looks like it, and she performed like it, and I can't wait to see her accept that award on Sunday night. All right, moving on to the final two categories, Jason. We've made it. The made it. the, the toss ups, the, the 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 intense categories that everyone has been back and forth, back and forth for a long time. So we're gonna start with best director. You ready? I'm ready. All right. So the nominees are Sam Mendes for 1917, Bong Joon-ho for Parasite, Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Martin Scorsese for The Irishman, and Todd Phillips for Joker. For the longest time, Jason, it seemed like it was going to be a battle of titans between Quentin and Marty, but now it seems like it's a battle between Sam Mendes and Bong Joon-ho. Bong Joon-ho, again, the love for Parasite is there. Sam Mendes has won all these accolades, the DGA, Golden Globe. They both tie for the Critics' Choice. So in the end, Jason, who do you think wins this award? Mendes or Director Bong? Well, I know it's Mendes. Um, this is going to be a second Oscar for, uh, for directing. And it's a technical feat. And technical feats get rewarded. They do. Not to say that Parasite was a, a cakewalk to direct. No. Um, it, would, it would be my personal pick. I just think it's a show year movie. It is. And I think any other year this would have been a cakewalk for Bong Joon-ho. Um, but, I mean, we're, we're really looking at just two two movies that were so artfully crafted. Yeah. Um, 
You know, it'd be like if Alfonso Cuaron and Roma came out the same year that Birdman and Inyaritu came out. It's like, yeah, they cakewalk their respective years, but now yeah. they're competing against each other, so one just got the edge over the other. Exactly. Um, it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah, it um, is. But, like I said, with Parasite winning screenplay, they have a place to reward Bong Joon-ho, whereas Mendes getting in a screenplay really was just confirming how much they loved it. The nomination was the win. There. Yeah. Um, I think they're going to want to give it to him. He has a personal connection to the story. Um, it was a, being partially inspired by his grandfather. Um, I think that's a great narrative, and I totally get it. I, I get where they're coming from with giving it to him. Um, but I look out. Maybe, maybe the Parasite uh, surge that we're all secretly kind of hoping will happen at the Oscars does indeed happen yeah. but for now the safe bet is Mendes and that's my personal pick yeah I'm, I'm I'm going with the safe bet too I don't bet against the GGA which only seven times has gotten it wrong am I, am I correct on that Jason only seven times in the DJ's history it hasn't lined up with best director at the Oscars I believe. yes I believe it's seven times I can't tell you when the last time outside of Ben Affleck and Argo yeah. um it missed in recent memory though um because a lot of those seven were, were earlier on. I, I mean, it happened so infrequently. Yeah. Um, and again, and two of those were because the director wasn't even nominated. Exactly, yeah. So I, I do think that I can't bet against the guilds, uh, the major guilds on this, which is why they're so important. I would love to see Bong Joon-ho win this award. And I do think there is a love for Parasite. There, there, I, There's just... To me, I've never gone away from a SAG and be as printed as I was this year when they gave Parasite a standing ovation when they just came out to present the film for it best so, cast. Uh, that it's, so legendary. it's legendary, and the fact that they didn't win the award yet, and you knew at that point they were going to win the award from the ovation because the Paris, the the Irishman cast came out. The Once upon a time, they all came out, and they didn't get that same love. So I just think for me, because the acting branch has a big presence in the Academy that there is going to be an upswell for Parasite. But I... They've been I, pushing it. That last-minute surge has been real in the trades. I, it's, it's there. But I just think that... And I and I agree with you that Mendez, from what he did with this with this film, when you look back on the years, both times in a read to one, Birdman and Revenant, they were technical spectacles. They were spectacles that are hard to achieve. Alfonso for Roma and Gravity, it's it, it's right there. So I do agree with you that Mendez is going to win for, again, it's not like these movies are a cakewalk and, and we're talking about Mendez and we shouldn't discount what Sam Mendez did. Sam Mendez pulled off an incredible feat with this movie. So, so I do think Mendez deserves this award, but would I love to see Bong up there and, and he's my dark horse? Yes, 100%. Both of these guys, whoever wins it, I will be happy to see them accept the award for Best Director. But I do have Sam Mendes winning this award at the end of the night because I don't go against the DGA. I don't go against it. I'm here to win, and I'm, I'm here to gonna win. make a lot. i got to make some safe predictions, even if it's against my own exactly. personal Exactly. You can go a little crazy in the below-the-line categories, but when it comes to the major awards, you gotta you got to stand packed. All right. Absolutely. Moving on to the final award of the night, Jason. The final award, Best Picture, the up-and-down race that has been Best Picture this year with the short award season has been remarkable. So here we go. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Here we go. And the nominees for Best Picture are 1917, Parasite, Jojo Rabbit, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 
Joker, The Irishman, Marriage Story, Little Women, and Ford versus Ferrari. Nine nominees this year. Jason, the ups and downs, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was once up there. Parasite, 1917, I've been neck and neck this entire award season. So we think. So we think. Jojo Rabbit has been a potential dark horse. PGA went to 1917. So when all is said and done, what film will be going on stage to accept the 92nd Annual Academy Award for Best Picture on Sunday night? Be safe. I'm being safe. Oh boy. Going. Can't go against the PGA. Can't go against the BAFTAs. Can't go against the Golden Globes. Can't go against DGA. It's going to be 1917. 1917. Okay. And, and this is the one category where the upset just it, it's realistic just because of the nature of a preferential yeah. ballot so, it, so, so it's kind of baked in there where it's this is the only time movies are voted for via preferential ballot um in the in the awards season yeah um on a big level so it's realistically where you would see an upset just because it's it, you know it's voted for in a different metric. Do you want to explain that metric real quick? Real quick, if, if, if it can be explained in, 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 a, in, in, so, a, in a little so bit? Pretty much how it works is they, uh, you, everyone ranks their movies from number one to number two, um, and they send it in. So let's say my favorite movie was Parasite, um, but then, you know, I really like Joker. And then, so that, I write that as the number two and go down the list, blah, blah, blah. Ford v. Ferrari is my nine. I don't like that one that much. Mm -hmm. Um, The voting, uh, the the people over at PricewaterhouseCooper, wherever, uh, they calculate the votes. They look at all the number ones. If a movie gets 50% or more of the number one votes, let's say 50% of the Academy, like, 1917 the best, then boom, it's your winner. But if it gets like 1917 gets 40, Parasite gets 30, and then you go down the line, um, then they take off, I believe they take off all the people who had the number 9 movie as their number 1, um, and then they kind of keep going down the they keep eliminating movies and recalculating that um, so then their number 2 becomes the number 1 they add that to the number one, they kind of keep doing that until one of the movies gets a 50%. So a movie like, you know, a movie might get 40, 45% of the number one votes in the first round, which probably happened with something like La La Land, where that got the most number one votes probably in the first round. But then when they uh, had to do all the recalculations, Moonlight probably had a lot more two and three spots, so that boosted its thing up, and that cut to 50% first. Also probably happened last year with Green Book and Roma, where Roma was the technical achievement, a lot to appreciate there, but the people who weren't fully on board with that movie and putting it number one, not putting it in number two or three, they're probably putting it a seven or eight. Um, whereas with Green Book, a lot of people weren't putting it number one, but a lot of people were putting it a two or three because it makes them feel good. Um so it's a, it's a very interesting way to calculate it. Um, and it's why we've gone a little more safe. We've gone a little more safe with our best picture winners. Yeah. And, I mean, you, 1917 feels like the safe pick. It is. I, there's no one actively against it. 
I, there's no narratives against it in the same way. And while that's definitely the case for uh, Parasite as well, it's just so undeniable that 1917 has been doing so well. Um, yeah. And I just, I'm just going to go with it. Yeah, no, I, I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to be disappointed again. I, I agree. I agree. Listen, I think you and I had Roma last year at the Oscars, we right? We got burned. We got burnt. We got. We and, thought they were going to make history. Yeah. Never, never predict history. Never predict history because we thought, you know, we, we thought we, we took a lot of things into account and we thought this is going to happen. They're going to make history, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, no, it didn't happen. And we went against the, the PGA. And I'm not doing that again this year like you. I'm going with the safe bet. 1917 has been just been... It's been killing it this award season. Ever since the Golden Globe win, it's just been picking up momentum nonstop from beginning to end. And I just think it's it's on this racetrack that, especially with the shortened award season, with the preferential ballot, people are going to put this one at a, at a position where it'll rack up that 50% it needs to get the to get number one majority. And I just think Parasite would be the dark horse. I think Parasite is on going to be on a lot of people's runner-up lists. But I just think that... It, it, there's just a lot going forward for 1917 right now that is just unstoppable. And so I, I give Parasite my underdog status. If there's a, a film that I think would surprise everybody, it would either be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or Jojo Rabbit. Those, to me, are the two that could potentially surprise. But, but like I guess it was preferential. It's all about... Exactly. It's all about uh, being a likable movie. I do think Jojo fits, in, fits the bill well. Yeah. Oh. And, and, and I think but, Once yeah, does, I, too. I think I think Parasite does have that more passion, though. I think even though it might not emotionally hit people in the same way, it definitely, it definitely, it definitely strikes a nerve. It does. Um, and again, I I think this hurts an international film when you have a best foreign international film category. I think people within within the academy when they vote, they say, you know what, we gave it this the, the it its own best picture. Let's give it to something else. Like last year with Roma happened. So I just think there, that hinges. I think a lot of foreign films bets for getting best picture, right now. Absolutely. Right now. Absolutely. I, I can't disagree. So I I think 1917 goes on to win this award, and I think like you said at the very beginning of this, Jason comes out on top of being the most one well, the most wins of the night for 1917. Which again to me, I I will be happy with that. Because I really enjoy. I thought 1917 for being a theatrical experience and a great time at the theater was remarkable, and it deserves yeah, it's the, a top the award. Five movie for me, for sure. Yeah, like it, it, it's so deserving of this award as well. Same as Parasite as well. They're, they would both be deserving of this award. Yeah, and and even though my personal pick would be Parasite, I I understand that you know the Oscar is. I don't think they've picked my personal favorite oh, movie. They picked theirs for at least five, at least five years or so. Yeah, so it's been a long time. So I, I know not to, not to put my bets on them picking my personal exactly. favorite. Exactly. At this point, it's okay. I exactly. Understand. Again, I like for for us, it's here to, because we love to to just talk about the stuff and and bet on it and, and just yeah. be a part of the competition. That's what makes it so much fun and to celebrate exactly. all of these movies. It's incredible. <laughs> And Parasite, it's my favorite of year, and, and to see it get any love like this for an international movie, it's, it's incredible. It's win, exactly. You know? So yeah, like the, it's, it's, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be okay. I'm, I'm talking myself into being okay. Exactly. With losing. And if it does end up winning, it'd be we'll great. Have conversation. Exactly. It'll be a triumph. You'll be here with us on Monday to discuss it. We'll have all the reactions. We're a mere weekend away from finding out 
all the results from really i think jason i wonder if you'll agree with me it has been one of the craziest award seasons i've ever been a part of i completely agree sam I think it's just been absolutely unbelievable. All the twists and turns that come with it, we love that kind of stuff. But that's going to end it for us here on this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast, guys. Thank you for tuning in. Also, I want to give a big thank you to Jason Abdow. Jason, thank you for being here. Thank you for talking award season with me and talking to it with our audience and just being here for these last few weeks. It's been one hell of a ride, and we have one more week to really go into and dive into everything and recap it all. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I can. I agree. Yeah. Um, I'm so pumped for something. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. I can't wait to talk about it with you. Jason, thank you so much for being here with me, for being here with our audience, and I can't wait to talk to you again real soon. Oscar Sunday is this Sunday, and we'll have all the recap stuff happening on Monday. Jason, thank you again for being here with us. Thank you so much, Sam. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Take care. Take care. Bye. And once again, big thank you to Jason Abdow. Those are our predictions for this year's Academy Awards. We'll see if it all transpires. The according to plan is what we thought it was going to be. I cannot wait. I'm hoping you guys are going to enjoy the 92nd Annual Academy Awards. The biggest night in Hollywood is upon us. And of course, we're going to have a recap for you on Monday from everything that transpired that night for Hollywood's biggest night. But until then, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto the Ambiguous Network. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out goal-driven professionals, geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out our brand new show that is on the network, The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. You can check them out on the website, ambiguousproduction.com. Also on Facebook and Twitter, at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, make sure to follow me on social media on Twitter at Basil Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And on Facebook at Sam Basel. Thank you guys again so much. And until next time, keep on screening.